Well, good morning again. And at this time, we're going to dismiss our elementary school kids for fusion. If, if you're new here and you'd like to walk with your kids over to the fusion lesson, you're welcome to do that. But we're thankful to be here this morning. And thank you for that prayer, Elizabeth, for praying for us this weekend. And it was Though a little stressful, it was a great event, and we're thankful for all the volunteers and for all the people that gave time, and we're praying for next Sunday that God would do great things through testimony, through baptism, through worship, through fellowship, and the teaching of his word. And so we're really excited for next Sunday. Invite someone, someone you work with, a neighbor, a family member. It's a great Sunday to ask someone to come along and we'll share the gospel and we'll rejoice in Jesus. And so, um, but we're looking forward to that. This morning, we're gonna finish up 1 Peter. So if you have a Bible and can turn to 1 Peter chapter five. Personally, I've really enjoyed studying 1 Peter. It's appropriate. It, It seems to fit us where we are culturally today. I've been encouraged Um, And like we pray, or like I pray most weeks, um, hopefully for you, it's been encouraging and comforting and convicting that we would be led to follow Jesus, to become passionate followers of him, disciples of him. Um, So we'll finish it up, chapter five this week, and we'll start a new series um, starting next Sunday on Easter. So let's read. I'll read verses five through 14 of chapter five, and then we'll start with the time of prayer. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for our time in 1 Peter, God. And as we wrap up this time, God, I pray that we would hear these closing words for Peter, that these aren't just words for these five churches, but that they are words for us today. And we recognize, Father, that we come into this room this morning carrying all sorts of things on our shoulders stress and anxiety and joy and happiness and peace and struggle and shame, whatever it is, God, I pray that 
you would speak to us where we are through the truth of your word. Comfort us, encourage us, convict us, and lead us. And God, this morning, we pray that you would humble us. As we think about humility, God, we pray, I pray, God, that you would humble me, that you would humble us, and that we'd be willing to be humbled. And so, God, I pray that you would do that work through the, through the working of your spirit today because of Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. So we get to 1 Peter 5, 5 through 14, and Peter is wrapping up this letter. And as I studied these last several verses, my conclusion or my summary was, was pretty much Peter has brilliantly closed this letter. He, in his way, is able to summarize everything that he says in just a few final commands. And to me, this, this is just about as perfect as he could do it, how he can summarize everything he said with just a few final closing commands. And he gives us four words, four words, one last command summarizing everything he has said. And he says in verse five, who is this command for? He says, it is to all of you. And I like that. He's just talked about elders. He just talked about those who were younger. He's talked to husbands. He's talked to wives. He's talked to all sorts of different categories of people, those who struggle and those who grieve, those who are married, those who are slaves. And now he gets to the end of the letter and he says, I am about to tell you something that crosses all lines. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't ha matter how much money you have, how old you are, how young you are. But this is the final word that I give to you to wrap up this letter. And what are those four words that I, that I want to make the argument is, is the breath of this entire letter. Clothe yourselves with humility. Verse 5, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility. That's the sermon. I mean, we're not done, but that's the, the idea of the sermon. One big thought. And so let's, let's wrap our minds around this because this is it. And this is the emphasis. What does it mean to clothe ourselves with humility? But I like, I, like this, I like this metaphor that Peter uses. I mean, just like you get up every single day and you put your socks on and your pants on and you button up your shirt, he's saying, just like you do those things, put on a layer of humility. This would have been a very mundane thing for these, for these listeners to do. Unlike maybe how it is today with our clothing, we have colors and options and accessories and so many choices and so many ways to express ourselves. But clothing in this culture was not like that. Men, we would have loved this. It's practical and you just put on a shirt and it's, you don't have all these options. But what Peter is saying, he's saying, put, put on humility like you put on clothes. This, is, this would have been a basic necessity. 
This would have been very mundane. Something to do every single day. You get up, your room is dark, it's a Monday morning, you're getting dressed, and put on some humility. Wear it like a shirt. It's kind of different. I was comparing this to, the, to Paul's passage in Ephesians about the armor of God. I mean, that's exciting. Wield and arm yourself. Strap on this. Shield this. But this, is, this has a completely different feel to it. Put on the shirt or the apron or the, the socks of humility. This is non-exciting yet basic to what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. But this, this metaphor of clothing also speaks to the invasiveness of clothing or, how, or to the fact that clo- your clothing goes with you everywhere you go. You go to the breakfast table, hopefully you are clothed with pants and shirts. You have socks on, you go to work, you have shirt and clothing and socks and shoes. And he's saying, just like you do all these things, you have all these things on you, you are to clothe yourself with humility. In other words, humility comes with you everywhere you go. Everywhere you go. It is a filter that comes with you everywhere. Every relationship Every interaction, every meal, every situation, you are clothed with humility. In other words, it's not something you you put on sometimes and take off other times. The, The picture is you always have it with you. It is always a part of your life. And so thinking of of that, of, of it like that, it kind of makes sense that this is the heartbeat of First Peter. That he is saying that you, five churches, and all believers who hear this letter read in your little churches, you are going to walk into fire today. You're going to walk into persecution and struggle and grief and temptation and challenge and heartache and temptation, all these things in different relationships. And he's saying, it doesn't matter where you walk, what you walk into. You are to clothe yourself with humility. And so this is, in my estimation, the defining quality as followers of Jesus, clothing ourselves with humility, that your greatest asset in your relationships and with the people you know and in your work, your greatest asset, according to Jesus and Peter, it is humility. It's not strength. It's not power. It's not wealth. It is wearing humility. And so to that end, I thought it would be appropriate. I got this hoodie this week. Now, I didn't buy it like this. But I thought, you know, I might as well follow this command to clothe myself with humility. Clothe myself with humility. I'm going to be selling this hoodie. No, I'm not. New dress code. New dress code, Mount Calvary Christian School. Can you wear hoodies? Okay, never mind. New dress code, church. Easter Sunday. We are following following the command of Peter to 
literally clothe ourselves with humility. Now I'm being, I'm joking. But what does it really look like to follow this command? Because that, that's the command I was, I was stuck on in this passage. Clothe yourself with humility. And so that's, that's what I want to talk about. We're going to do some review because I, my argument is this. This is the centerpiece. This is the heartbeat of Peter in this letter. And so we're going to remind ourselves of how he's already talked about clothing yourself with humility in different ways. And then we're going to see two ways in 1 Peter 5 that he's continuing to tell us to put on humility and, and show that in two different ways. And so let's start with this. Clothed in humility, the first thing that this looks like is that you submit and subject yourself to others. Now, we've talked about this. There's no getting around the emphasis that Peter makes with this. I'll show you some of the passages on the screen. First Peter 2.13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, and he goes on from there. Verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing them honor. Verse 5 of chapter 5, be subject to the elders, you who are younger. I mean, there's no way to deny that Peter is emphasizing the humility that it takes to submit to the people that God has placed in your life. And when, we, when I preached this passage, I said something like, he is emphasizing submission in all spheres of our lives, in the home, at work, in the church. There's this element of submission. And if we're gonna wear this, this hoodie and we're gonna be clothed in humility, what, is it, what does it look like? It means that we are humbly submitting and subjecting ourselves to the people in our lives. And then he continues to kind of pound this drum of humility. Clothed in humility, you will serve. You will serve. Now this is what the word humility literally means. Originally when this word was used in Greek culture, it physically meant literally meant close to the ground. And so we found a document, not we, they found a document with this word humility, the Greek word tapenos, describing the Nile River. And so it was a physical description of the Nile. When the Nile was low to the ground, when it was not high, if it, when, when it wasn't high, when it wasn't rising far from the ground, when, there was, when it was dusty, this word tapenos was used. And eventually, this, this word evolved to not physically low to the ground, but socially low to the ground. And so Greek culture would use this word. It wasn't a positive word. This was a very negative way to describe someone. You are low to the ground. You are poor. You are shamed. You are powerless. Okay, and so this is some of the history of this word Humility, but it's really stunning, stunning that Jesus and Peter would use this word to be the centerpiece, <coughs> the centerpiece of what we're to do. I mean, it is such a 
different, the, the culture looked so far down on the people that when they would use this word and for Jesus to say, this is the focus, for Peter to say, clothe yourself with lowliness. Clothe yourself with dust. Literally, he's saying, get on the ground, flat on the ground where no one can see you. That's the picture, laying on the ground, your face in the ground, and serve others. It's service. First Peter 4, 10, as each has received a gift, use it to make money. Use it to find gain. Use it for yourself. Use it for comfort. No, he says, he does not say any of that. Use it to serve one another. I mean, this is countercultural in every possible way. Pursue humility. I mean, that's detestable. That would have been detestable. Use your gifts to care and love and serve others. Paul talks about this, makes this connection in Acts 20. He says, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. I mean, what a, what a passage this is that teaches us about service and humility. Paul says, day one, I got to Asia you know, service wasn't, for Paul, a program. It wasn't a box to check. It wasn't something he does sometimes, and then he can go and rest and relax. He's saying, from the moment I got there, I didn't wait to get comfortable. I didn't wait to kind of learn my surroundings, see where I fit. From the moment I stepped foot into Asia, I embraced humility. I served, and I served, and I served. Not a program. It is a way of life. It is a way of life. Follower of Jesus. It's a way of living. It's clothing. It's not something you do. It's something that you are. And I love, he makes the point here, that your circumstances should not affect the clothing of, of humility. He says, through trials, through tears and trials that happened to me through the pot of the juice, I still served and I still put on humility. I mean, his fellow Jews were brutal to him, plotting to assassinate him. I mean, the sleepless nights, the, the anxiety, the paranoia, the grief, all of these things. And what's Paul saying? None of my circumstances affected how I viewed humbly serving others. It is a way of life. And so Peter is saying here in 1 Peter, you put on humility and you serve. It is like clothing to you. It's like clothing. Lastly, clothed in humility, you bless those who are evil and those who revile you. That's not last, but we got a couple more here. 1 Peter 3.8. Look at this connection. Remember this connection with me. Finally, all of you have unity of mind and sympathy and brotherly love and tender heart and a humble mind. Okay, this is the bridge. This is the connection. If you want to do verse 9, you have to do verse 8. 
You can't get to nine without going through eight. You must have a humble mind to do what? Do not repay evil for evil. Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless for this, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. I mean, it is impossible to think how we can actually do that. Not strike our enemies, not seek revenge, not give them what they deserve. But instead, he says, on the contrary, how can we be contrarian? It is with a humble mind, seeing ourselves for who we really are and seeing Jesus for who he really is and recognizing and understanding it's not our job to be God. We let God deal with those who are evil. It's not our responsibility to. And that's what, humble, that's what humility does. I am not in charge. I am not called to handle this. One day, God will. And so what humility is here is this peace of mind that says, it doesn't matter what happens to me. It doesn't matter what people say or what people do or what I experience. Humility is this, this inner peace that says, I am at peace with God and Jesus and who he is for me. Clothed in humility. What else does this look like? When you put on this hoodie, you mourn your sin and you turn from it. Outside of 1 Peter here, 2 Corinthians 12, 20 through 21. For, for, for I fear that perhaps, Paul's talking here to the church, when I come, I may find you not as I wish, that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling and jealousy and anger and hostility and slander and gossip and conceit and disorder. And I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you. Okay, so what does that mean to humble me before you? That I may have to mourn over the many of those who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity and sexual immorality and the sensuality that have been practiced. So what does it mean to be humble, to be clothed in humility? Paul is saying, you mourn and you're broken over your sin and you repent because of it. And so this is, this is the picture of what, what does it look like for us leaving today, leaving church and saying, I wanna put on humility Monday morning. Like I put on my socks. I want to be humble. What does it mean or what does it look like to do that? Because you're not going to wear a hoodie. Like that doesn't solve it. What does it mean? It means you do these verbs that Peter has taught us. That you bless and you submit and you, and you mourn. And you do these things because you, you know who you are. You serve. And so that's the picture that we've gotten from Peter and Paul about what it means to be clothed in humility. But we're still in verse 5. So I think Peter here and the rest of the passage is going to say, let me give you two more verbs to add to your list. Two more verbs. We've said submission. We've said serve. We've said bless. And we've said mourn. That's what it looks like to be humble. Now Peter says, let me give you Two more that will, that, will give, that will show people that you are humble. First is this, clothed in humility, you cast your anxieties on God. 
clothed in humility, you cast all of your anxieties on God. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7. One more time. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Now, when I was first looking at this, the question as I'm reading this and trying to understand it was this. What is the connection between humility and anxiety? Or what is the connection between pride, the opposite of humility that he has talks about in verse 5? What's the connection between pride and anxiety? Because that's not a typical connection that we make. You're anxious about your job, or you're anxious about your kids, or a relationship, or next week, or, or your, your parents. Whatever it is you're anxious about, we don't typically think, I am being prideful. Pe- but Peter makes this connection. The main verb of this, of this passage is humble yourselves. Casting, sometimes we separate these out as two different things. We humble ourselves, that's one sermon. We cast our anxiety, that's, that's another sermon. We resist the devil, that's a third sermon. But Peter is not doing that, in my opinion. He is, he is telling us, he, casting is what's called a participle that, that modifies, not to bore you here, it's a participle that modifies the main verb. So how do you humble yourself? By casting your anxieties. And the question is, well, what's the connection there? Humility and anxiety. So let's think about this. And I've just been kind of wrestling with that. Let's just take something that is stressful or causes anxiety in your life, like job stress. Anyone have job stress? You have job stress. I know about your job stress. Okay, our job, we have a big project, we have too much to do, and we are anxious about it. Okay, we all know what that's like. Okay, in that scenario, you're overwhelmed at work. You're not happy with your job. How, how do we deal with that anxiety? i tell you how we deal with it. We work hard. We work harder. We work longer. We work more hours. We go to work early. We stay at work late. We push and we push because we have this, this, this need in our life to figure this out. And so what do we do to deal with job anxiety. We work harder and longer. I mean, I see it with students. When you're anxious about college, I mean, there's classes, there's things to take, things to do, there's sports to play, fill the resume. How do we deal with anxiety? We work, 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 exert ourselves to fix the problem. And when we kind of think of it like that, we could start to see the pride that comes in with how we often handle anxiety. What does it mean to be humble? It's to say, I can't do this myself. That's, that's how you're called to, to deal with anxiety. It's prideful to say, I can fix my anxiety. I can fix it. I can work enough to do it. But that's not what Peter is saying. He says, cast it. Cast your anxiety. Okay, it's a great word. It's a great word. It shows up one other time in the New Testament. 
I bet you don't know when. I had no clue. It showed up on Palm Sunday, ironically, which is today, the beginning of Holy Week, when Jesus sends his disciples in to get the donkey. I'll show you the passage, Luke 19, 35. They brought the donkey to Jesus, throwing or casting their cloak on the colt. They set Jesus on it. I mean, it gives us a picture of what we are to do with our anxiety. You put the cloak on the donkey, and the donkey does the work for you. You let go of the cloak. It no longer has any connection with you. And that is what they're called, that is what they're called to do with this cloak and with, this, with the donkey. No longer, no longer are they touching the garment in any way. They have let go of it. The donkey carries the burden. Okay, now how do we cast our anxiety? We, we, there's a form of pride that comes with fighting and working for it. Okay, so that's the negative side of this one. Then what's the positive? How do we cast our anxiety? Like literally cast it. We know the passage, Philippians 4, 6. Don't be anxious about anything, but how do we cast it? Somebody? You pray, right? We pray. You, 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 you use your words, you give it to Jesus, you submit it to the throne, and you say, I am no longer in charge of this. I give it to you. And so now, it, it, as I'm kind of was thinking through this this week, it, it makes a lot of sense. With anxiety, we like to take charge to hand it our, handle it ourselves. What Peter is saying is, no, no, you cast it away through prayer. And listen, we don't pray because we are prideful. We don't pray because we're pride. That's what David Platt says. Prayers, prayerlessness is pride. We pray because we, we need God to step in and to do something, to solve something, to fix something, to intervene and to help. And we don't pray because, God, I've got this. I got this. I can handle this. And, and so th this is deeply connected to humility and to pride. And he's saying, don't try to fix your anxieties yourself, but cast them through humble prayer, counter to pride, and let the Father deal with them. I was talking with Melissa Norman this week. She's our kids' ministry director. And she was stressed this week, okay? She was stressed, getting ready for this, this Easter carnival. And I looked at her, and I could tell she had a lot on her mind and her heart. And I said, how are you doing? And she said, I'm not doing very well. And I said, well, let's talk about it. And so she started talking to me. She said, I woke up at 4 a.m., and I was sick this morning, physically sick, I was dizzy, I couldn't get out of bed, I didn't know what to do, I thought I was sick. Physically, I thought I was sick with a virus or something. And then she said, I realized I was sick with anxiety. Like my anxiety about this event was causing physical symptoms on my body. And we all understand this, right? We all understand this. When we get anxious, it affects us physically, not just emotionally or spiritually. And so here's Melissa. Okay, what's the answer for Melissa? I'll tell you, it, it's not go and stuff more Easter eggs, Melissa. Go and find more volunteers, Melissa. Melissa, get to work on fixing the weather situation, Melissa. Like, do more, come to work early, stay at work late, fix, fix, fix. That's not the solution. The solution is Get on your knees 
cast your anxieties, let God be God. And so she said, she said she didn't know what she was gonna do. And then she said, I spent an hour in prayer. I mean, you have 10,000 things to do. She said, I sat and I prayed for an hour, taking thoughts captive, casting my anxieties. And then my husband saw what I was doing. Jason came and prayed with me. She got to the church office. She was still feeling it. The ladies of the office surrounded and cast her anxieties with her. They helped cast the anxieties. And Melissa said, believe it or not, I felt better. Dizziness gone. Symptoms stopped. Anxiety lifted because she said, I just, I, I could not do it any longer. And so this is the picture of the humble person that Peter is telling us. There's two verses in the book of John should be our motto. If we're going to wear this sweater, if we're going to wear this hoodie, and we're going to cast our anxieties, John 3.27 says this, a person cannot receive anything unless it's given to him from heaven. John 15.5, apart from me, you can do nothing. You aren't given anything without the Father. You can't do anything unless the Father grants it. This is the heartbeat of humility, of casting your anxieties where you say, I'm not in charge. I'm given nothing that's not from the Father. I can do nothing without him. Those are humbling words to live by. Last thing that he says about humility in this passage Clothed in humility, you resist the prowling, roaring lion, the devil. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10. Be so reminded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like the roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Okay, again, I believe humility is connected, deeply connected to this idea of resisting the devil. James 4 makes the same connection. Humility and fighting. And sometimes we think of humility, we think of being passive, being at peace, being quiet. Well, Peter blows that out of the water. To be humble is to fight the devil who is prowling and he wants to devour you. That's encouraging. He wants to eat you. He wants to end you through persecution, through grief, through sin. And what Peter is saying resist the destruction of the devil by fighting him, fighting sin. You're not okay with sin. You don't succumb yourself to sin. You don't make light of sin. You don't feed your sin, but you fight it and you resist it because you have humbled yourself at the foot of the cross. And let me close with this. What is our motivation? Okay, we've talked a lot about putting on the clothing of humility. What, why would we do that? Like, it's a weird thing to command. Like, I can't tell you, be humble, and you say, okay, I'll be humble right now. How, what's the motivation by which we pursue a, literal, a life of humility? This kind of countercultural, in the dust, anxiety-casting, Satan-resisting humility. What is the motivation? Peter gives it to us, and he gives it to us perfectly. Look at verse 6 and 7 one more time for the motivation. Humble yourselves, therefore, 
under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. What's your motivation? Because he cares for you. Why would you cast your anxieties on the Father for him to deal with in humility? Because you know he is powerful enough to do something about it, and he wants to because he loves you. It is these two doctrines combined. You humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. I mean, think of God's mightiness. I mean, what do you do in the presence of someone who is all-powerful? You get on your face. He names the stars. He made them, and he owns them to the point that he can give them names. He is all-powerful and all-ruling. He's not just above the kings. He navigates the hearts of the kings like streams of water, Proverbs tells us. He stretches out the sky and the horizon. And in Job chapter 26, it's a great passage about the power of God. This beautiful picture of all these things that God, that God in his might and power does. He covers the moon with clouds. He stretches out the horizon. He holds the stars in place. And Job gets to the end of this overwhelming litany of the powerful works of God. And you know what Job says? He says, these are but a whisper of your might. We can't even understand the mighty power of God. Humble yourself under that God. But hear this, and I'll close with this. This is the most important thing. God is not just mighty. He is also mighty, and he also cares for you. He is not just mighty, but he also cares for you. This, I say this a lot, so it, one of the greatest truths. He is not just mighty, but he is also all-caring and all-loving. I mean, he is all-powerful. I mean, that is scary. But he's not all-powerful so that he can squash you. That's not, that's not the, the motivation of his power. He is all-powerful, and he loves you like a son and like a daughter. He is a king with all power, and he is out not to threaten you or to get you, but he is out to show you his deep, deep love for you. I love how Zephaniah puts this. Zephaniah 3, 17 through 19 connects God's power and might with God's love, and it's an overwhelming verse to read. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one. That's scary. It is a frightening thought to be in the presence of the Lord God Almighty, all-powerful, almighty one. But then you get to the next phrase, the mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcasts and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. God is 
all-powerful, and he is all-loving, and he sings over you. He rejoices over you. And, and this is our motivation. This is the cause of our humility. And so here's how we're going to close. We're going to sing two songs, a song about God's mighty power and his greatness, and then we're going to sing a song about God's never-ending, beautiful love. And here's the hope that as we reflect personally, all of us, as we sing these songs, we've, we've studied them, we're going to sing them, but as we reflect on God's power and God's love, we would follow the progression of the text in Peter, and then at the end of that, that we would humble ourselves under that powerful God and that loving God. And so we'll close our service with our time of confession, where we're not just casting our sin. You know, that's how we typically close, or that's how we typically do our confession time. We typically do our confession time where we cast our sins, that he is merciful and good and forgiving. But now we're saying we will humble ourselves by casting not only our sin, but casting our anxiety. And so at the end of the worship, we'll give you some time to spend some time in confession, humbling yourself underneath the God that we've just sung about. Let's pray. Father, you are great and amazing and all-powerful and all-loving. And God, we, we need to better understand this. Our feeble minds cannot grasp your power and your love. And God, we pray that you would help us, that you would help us to, to just scratch the surface, to hear the whisper of your power and your love, that we would be humbled because it is in that humility that we can submit and bless and serve and cast and resist. And so God, we pray that you would humble us under your power and might that we might be who you've called us to be. As we sing these songs, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak and encourage and challenge our hearts. It's in your name we pray, amen.